You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Paolo Bacigalupi's new novel is The Doubt Factory. A.S. King's new novel is Glory O'Brien's History of the Future. Thank you for joining me, Paolo and Amy. Thank you. Thank you. You're both writing in a really interesting intersection, I think. Um, you're both, Paolo, you're writing about the present as if it's the future. Amy, you're writing about the future as if it's the present. So you guys are like standing on opposite sides. This is a circular execution squad. (laughs) (laughs) Two trains passing in the night. Maybe not passing. They're on the same track. So talk about uh, why you take your approaches and talk about also using those, this kind of nexus of we're living in this future that seems so broiling right around us to get the interest of uh, teen readers. Um, I think... I think this. I think Paolo will agree with me on this one. I think it's amazing what we ignore in our society, right? We yeah. ignore so much, right? And so I think it's my job as a writer to 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 polish up those things that we're ignoring, so that people might be able to have a conversation about it. You know, as for the present becoming the future, or the future becoming the present, I I just have no control over that. I just write the books. I think that I think there is something that that both of us tend to focus on some aspect of our present world that we feel like people are missing. It definitely showed up for me when I was reading Gloria O'Brien that you know here is here is feminism once again brought forward and parsed from this girl's perspective as she's watching her friends sort of being slowly swallowed up by all of the consumer culture, all of the Cosmo magazine stuff and and watching that was really interesting and, and very heartrending because there's there's a lot of uh, especially right now there's a lot of really toxic sort of conversation about you know quote unquote feminism and 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 to read a book like Gloria O'Brien's History of the Future where it says no feminism pay attention I think that that's you know and using the way that way that Amy uses these these tools to sort of like cast questions about feminism and, and equality into the future and make us look again at our present moment, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. So. Well, it's funny because I, I think the same way, and this isn't just you know, us playing cards here or anything, but I mean, <clears throat> I felt the same way when I read The Doubt Factory, when you make people think with your books. That's the idea. The idea is to think about something that's right there. It's not to, t- you know, we, we tell stories and that's great. I'm not gonna tell anyone how to think and neither are you. You're going to make them doubt. I might try. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it wouldn't work with me, pal. But, um, you know, you're not going to tell anyone how to think. You're just trying to make, you know, trying to get them to think and trying to get them to go, oh, hold on a second. Well, what about that thing I read about this thing? And then, you know, um, about, about a product. Maybe I shouldn't use it. Maybe I should research it more and things like this. You know, as for feminism, I, I hope that people do look it up in the dictionary. It's really <laughs> easy, and it's such a simple definition, and it's not what so many people have called it. You know, really, it's 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 just something that, that it's just civil rights. It's just equal rights for for women as well. That's that's about it. So. So I think that it's it's interesting that we do that. I like doing that, and I've always done it. I think. I mean, I like to take things from the history as well. And I mean, with your with with the drowned cities. I mean, you. I I think that was one of the best books I ever read. That 
that, that I yeah that, that I can hand to somebody and say read this because it's really what it's our this is it this is going to be our future if we don't stop now yeah you want to you want to give people you want to give people enough information that they have a visceral experience yeah. of your ideas it's not so much that you're trying to say this is what you should think you right. should say here are some items that you might want to consider and those probably will lead you to conclusions right. Right. <laughs> but but you just lay it out and and it's amazing how powerful it is to just lay out details sure. um you know with the Dow factory if i can just lay out the aspirin industry you know yeah here's this moment and you can look at it and you can be shocked by it. And, and that was certainly the way I felt when I was reading and doing my research. I was angry. I was, yeah. how, could, how could somebody delay putting a, a label for race syndrome on a bottle? Yeah. How could they? Yeah, I felt the <laughs> and, same way reading it. And, I was, I was... and that you're looking at this thing with the aspirin industry and you think, this is villainy. Yeah. This is and and so extraordinary in in in, in how and how calmly you can lay out the details and say, "My god, we accept this." And how do we accept this? I know. Um, and, and and in our culture it's so funny because I mean, I, I work I work in, you know, I work with victims, I work with survivors, I work uh, to try and raise money for especially young children who've survived things. You have no idea how difficult it is to get the perpetrators of these crimes into prison. And yet Here's aspirin, you know what I mean? Right, right. And then you're yeah, looking yeah. at it going, it, it's amazing what we actually, who we put in prison and who we don't. Mm. I think that's another obvious thing that we could just look at right now and talk very openly about, but we'll keep it very under. <laughs> uh, we'll keep it under, under the uh, surface. Yeah, we're, we're going to expose all of our, all of our political <laughs> radicalism. But, I mean, the, it's interesting, though, because one of the things that I realized at an early point in my writing career was that in order to feel comfortable about doing something as self-indulgent as writing, mm. that I also felt like I needed to somehow be of service. And that I somehow, that my work needed to not just be entertaining, which is what I love about stories and what got me reading and everything else, but that, that, that the books should be meaningful. The stories should be meaningful. They should carry more weight than just, you know, the protagonist had a challenge and overcame it, but, but that we come away learning more and knowing more about our world. Absolutely. Well, I think, too, both of you are speaking to the power of the reading experience. I think it's different from any other kind of entertainment experience because when you're processing that language and bringing up the story from the page within yourself, that requires a lot of horsepower on the part of the reader. And I think that the kind of fiction that both of you are writing really in makes the maximal use of that. And I would go so far as to say that by writing for um, works that are accessible to a teen audience, it gives it more power for all audiences. You know, this is going to sound corny, but I had this—I had this legal tablet I used to carry around with me when I was a child. I believed I was a Vulcan, and I still do. Um, but I had this legal tablet, and I'd carry it around, and I'd jot things down on it. And when I was 14. Um, I jotted down that I wanted to write books that helped adults understand teenagers better and help teenagers understand adults better. And, and really now what I realize is that I would just like people to understand the world, their own worlds better. I mean, it, no matter how, you know, it's not, it's not my world or my character's world. It's just, if you can come away from a book, I mean, think of the books. Think of, I can just say, do androids dream of electric sheep? I mean, I came away from that book, and, it, and it's such a, I know it's a ubiquitous book, but I'm going to throw it out there because it's one of my favorites. And I came away really 
understanding myself better. I think that's the whole point of reading. One of the things that I think is interesting about books is that I feel like because you spend so much time mentally projecting yourself into the space of the characters, mm -hmm. that it's almost automatically going to generate an empathy with the situations and, and, it, and it removes some of the the natural barriers that we put up. Um, one of the things, I remember reading a study at one point uh, that said that we uh, tend to process negative information about our values through an emotional part of our brain um, as opposed to a logical part of our brain. So when we're being criticized for our values, we essentially reroute that and can't process it logically. We process it defensively through our emotions. Um, and I think that books offer an opportunity to sort of short circuit that and pass back inside and that we let stories in in a way that actually does allow us to have empathy for things that we haven't seen and does allow us to have empathy for people who are different than us and, and does allow us to have a, a greater conception of the world than we would be if we were simply presented with um, some nonfiction, you know, sort of treatise on any given topic. Yeah. Absolutely. I actually found myself really surprised that in the book there's there's uh, Gloria Gloria O'Brien you know kind of slut shames her her best friend Ellie and then I, I didn't even think about it till after I read it during revisions but she then she starts kicking herself for it saying why are you saying this about your friend like this is your friend she just this is ridiculous this is the thing you're fighting against and so she's having an argument on paper and it was really me having an argument with myself and and her having an argument with herself and hopefully a reader will have an argument with themselves I mean it's it's sort of right. the whole point yeah, yeah. Well, I think, too, that the slightly speculative element really aids in that ability for readers to um, step away from the, themselves. Because if they're, in your book, there's not so much of a speculative element other than the whole thriller aspect because right. our lives are not thrillers. My, my team of superheroes <laughs> all coming together is my big speculative thing there, but yeah. But I think that those moments really allow us to step back and take in a lot more information in that kind of uh, gray space that we create as readers. Yeah, I think that gray space is, you know, I, somebody, um, I wrote it to my editor one day in a letter and it's still in the back of all my books about this idea that people don't know if my characters are experiencing something real or going crazy and that, I, that that's how I feel every day. Um, it's, I wish I could actually read it, but I threw it across the room. No, I love but, that about your but, stories, actually. But, and that's, yeah. but that's how I've always written stories. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been writing novels for 20 years now, and, and they've always had that element, whether they were awful or not, and never made it <laughs> to the shelf, and you're all, and I'm all real happy about that. But, um, but I think that, that that speculative thing, that, that, one, that one little question that the reader has, that means that they can take that book and they can go, oh yeah, this was science fiction, or oh yeah, no, this was totally realistic, or oh, those dreams in, in Everybody Sees the Ants were totally happening, or oh no, that was all in his head. And, and I love that it just, it creates that, that, that gray area is so important for readers. I think it's really important. Well, I'd like you both to talk about um, using your visions of, you know, teenagers, and they're at the heart of both these novels, to explore adults externally. I think that that's a really clever way to look at yourself, to get outside of yourself. There's, there's something that I'm really interested in right now, which is the idea that we as adults aren't actually good friends to our children. 
um, that we aren't really doing our children any favors. And, and a lot of my stories, I've started sort of seeing this thing where the kids kind of look around and they say, wait a second, you're handing us all the problems. You guys are living it up, and you know, next generation, we inherit the global warming, we inherit the pollution, we inherit the, you know, your bad regulatory decisions, whatever those things are. Like, the, you know, we we the, you know we as adults enjoy all of the benefits, and they get you know, the garbage. Um, and 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 being able to talk about that from the teen perspective of, hey, wait a second, you're screwing us over. <laughs> um, I feel like that's. Um, it's really useful, um, and it's kind of useful to talk truth back to adults. Um, you know, not only to say to teenagers, yes, we really are, maybe not your best guides to the future, but that, um, but that also that adults might have a moment to actually feel ashamed of ourselves <laughs> for just one moment. So. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I usually, I think, I think my history with adults in, in young adult fiction is that I like to make them three-dimensional. Um, it's been one of my big things that I've been speaking about all year, whether I'm lecturing or at, at you know, where I teach or any of that. Um, I like to put them, put adults in there, but for me, it's, it's the emotional, uh, you know, disasters that we that we're handing down so we hand down everything from alcoholism to you know I mean even now they say that you know abuse basically transfers to your DNA so I mean we can't even control it no matter how much we work on ourselves you know these things are going to show up in our parenting um, I mean, we're both parents, so yeah. it's, it's fun to watch ourselves parent. Isn't it fun to watch yeah, yourself It's parent? always good to see another failure on your own um. part. Yeah, no, it's great. So, well, how old are your kids? I have, a ten, I have a 10-year-old son. I have a 10, and no, I don't. I don't have a 10-year-old. I have a nearly 12-year-old and a 7-year-old daughter. One of the things I did really notice about all, like I noticed this in Everyone Sees the Ants, Everybody Sees the Ants, and also in um, Gloria O'Brien, um, was that... Uh, you tend to have these adults who, they're really interesting, they're very multi-layered, but they're extremely ineffectual. Yeah. Um, and they're, you can tell they're trying so hard, but they're so locked down in their emotions, and they're so locked down in their, their sort of own baggage that they just are just clawing at the surface. And half of the kid's life is, is sort of experiencing and figuring out, oh, my parents, they aren't up for the task. Right, but it's similar to yours. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, oh, my dad. He's the doubt factory. Like right. he's the guy, like who who helped, you know, do all these things. And it's it's almost the same thing. You realize they're ineffectual. They're they're comfortable. Mm. They're comfortable in their own little places, even if they're they're struggling. Or in, in I guess technically in Alex's dad, he's living large. But but you know, but but you know, they have their they have their reasons. They have their excuses. They have they their they, um, they have their truth that leads them to their patterns. But you know, yeah, they're, they're broken patterns. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think yeah. any one of us is, I mean, that's why everybody sees the ants. It's called everybody sees the ants. I don't think a human on earth is untouched by something um, sad, we'll say. <laughs> sad or tragic, tra broken, tragic, yeah. broken whatever, yeah. Talk about when you're writing these books, you have to keep, you know, a, a much tighter rein. It seems like in many ways this has got to be a lot harder to write than a big old sprawling novel full of everything in the world. But my novels are big old sprawling novels. No, your me. novels are, <laughs> are, are, are such arrows through. Um, I don't know, I don't know. Do you have I, to, like, 
do you have, when you go in do you have to like rule things out or does the process itself just uh, eliminate things this might be different our processes our might, process are so different, different that like yeah, yeah. because um, so with mine I tend to start with my research and my sort of obsessions and stuff like that and so I'll start out like originally when I was writing about the doubt factory and I wanted to talk about product defense industry I wanted to talk about all these sort of machinations that companies use um, uh, the I, I actually thought I was going to write about global warming um, and I really wanted to write about the fossil fuels industry and I wanted to talk about how they convinced America somehow that global warming didn't exist and we're still in this sort of fugue state about this and as soon as you leave our borders as soon as you go to other countries nobody has any doubt about this it's like there was an entire information warfare campaign waged upon Americans and we accepted it um, but that said as we I was writing right we did and uh, <laughs> But, you know, as I was writing the novel, though, um, I ended up focused on the pharmaceutical industry. And the reason was because it's personal. Um, it's because it's something that we encounter all the time, because it is the tiger that we can actually get the visceral reaction to. I can see a bottle on a shelf in a pharmacy and understand that in a way that I can't with an abstraction. Um, and. And so, you know, that meant that, yeah, there were all sorts of pieces like that that ended up, you know, sort of I had a plan to deal with certain things and most of that goes out the window then um, in order to create a, a plot that, that really works and feels visceral and interesting and experiential. Um, yeah, I, I do things differently. I, um, I actually wrote that prologue that I read for um, a group of uh, kids in an urban school in Omaha, Nebraska uh, as an example of how to revise. Um, and then they said, you have to write the rest of it. And so I did. Um, and I, I wish I could tell the whole story. There's interviews out there where I tell the, the fuller story about that. But um, once that character is, is talking, if she keeps talking or he keeps talking, and they, and they keep leading me places, I will go. And that's how it works. I tend to, like, I'm a, uh, I'm a true blue Vonnegut freak so I really like shorter stories I like tighter stories but at the same time in those short tight stories that he wrote he went all over the place and that's you know that's kind of what I like to do um, although I can't compare myself but the point is is that that's that's what I like to do stay stay a little tighter and more focused um, I don't tend to go beyond 75,000 words it's just not where my brain goes and I, I wrote a, my next year's book is a surrealist novel I can't suspend reality for more than 55,000 words <laughs> not with an invisible so, helicopter so with the doubt factory I had I had a really nice tight draft at about 80 and then when I did revision it expanded to 105 yeah, yeah, and I was like what happened? happened where did all those extra words come from yeah that happens to me. I mean, it does happen to me too but it's never th like that big at the same time <laughs> the I think we, have, we do we, we have different processes that way which is which is cool um but yeah, I, I like to keep things tight that way. I've been speaking with Paolo Bacigalupi. His new book is The Doubt Factory. And A.S. King, her new book is Glory O'Brien's History of the Future. Thank you for joining me, Paolo and Amy. Thank, Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.